Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is your host, Dave Stovall, and we're about to jump into one of the last four track sessions from last year's forum. It features Curtis Sargent from Zume Training. Zume Training is an online and in-life learning experience designed for small groups who follow Jesus to learn how to obey His Great Commission and make disciples who multiply. They've got courses, guidebooks, and online groups, so make sure to check out zoome.training after you finish this episode. All right, everybody, let's jump into the episode and hear from Curtis Sargent. Enjoy. My name is Curtis Sargent, and I hope the session that we're here for is basic principles of church planting movements and disciple multiplication movements. Does that sound right? All right. Then I'm in the right place and you're in the right place. So um, let me pray for us as we get started. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here with others who are passionate about the things that you're passionate for. And Lord, I ask that you would speak to us, either reminding us of things that we already know or uh, giving us some new insights so that we can together disciple the nations more effectively for your glory. Amen. All right. So multiplication is not our idea. It's God's idea right? One of the first commandments and arguably the first commandment that God gave was be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Multiplication has been on his mind since the very beginning. And, you know, in scripture, especially in the Old Testament, one of the ways God emphasizes things in Hebrew is through repetition. So this isn't something that he just said once or twice. He said it multiple times. And I mean, you know, we see it again, most notably maybe after the flood, same thing, be fruitful, multiply. And there's so many examples through scripture, if we took time to do it, that we could see Jesus and in the Old Testament, the Lord, emphasizing time and time again both parts of that the multiplication part and the filling the earth part both of those were in a sense big deals to god right um my personality i can get fixated on something and just you know kind of go after it but i think when we're talking about multiplication especially in the kingdom, that there's some value to pausing a minute and first considering what is it that we're multiplying, right? When we talk about multiplying disciples, to bring it all the way back down to the personal level, am I a disciple worth multiplying, you know? That's, that's a relevant question. And I think 
Um, one reason that we don't see more multiplication of disciples is God's mercy, right? Because I think if we multiplied a lot of us, we would not be happy with the result, you know? So I think it may be God's mercy that we don't see more multiplication of disciples. So the quality of what we're multiplying is really important. And in a sense, should be a prerequisite to the quantitative, you know, quote, advantages of multiplication. So what I want to do during this hour is talk to you about some of the specific sort of categories that we want to equip every disciple in so that we get the result you know, that we want in the type of disciples that we're wanting to multiply. So um, the first thing that I think I'd like to talk about um, was mentioned a couple of times from the main stage during the first session. Um, there were references to, um, I guess, what historically has been called um, obedience-based discipleship, maybe, right? So a lot of us, historically, though we might, we might not admit this, but our behavior reflects that we have largely viewed maybe maturity or discipleship with knowledge-based. And they made some references to that from the platform already today. So knowledge being a component, right, of being a disciple or, you know, being a mature follower of Christ. And I think everybody in this room is fully aware that that is not adequate in and of itself, right? I mean, right belief without application, without sharing that with others, is absolutely useless, right? Satan knows more scripture than anybody in this room. The demons believe and tremble, right? Right belief, orthodoxy, if you will, Sure, it's good, we want it, we need it, but by itself, it's meaningless. I would suggest that we need to also be concerned with what you might call either obedience or application, right? So historically, the, the 25 cent word for this is orthopraxy, right? Right, right practice, right application. And that is absolutely important. But I'm convinced that there is a third one that we have paid even less attention to than the obedience. That we could call passing on or sharing. And there, there's plenty of biblical evidence that this is absolutely core to what God intends for each of us, right? all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant, right? Blessed to be a blessing. And over and over throughout scripture, you know, that's his, 
his purpose in choosing Israel so he could bless them to be a blessing to the nations. There's all sorts of New Testament evidence for this. You know, freely you have received, freely give. The things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. From those to whom much has been given, much shall be required. The parable of the talents, and on and on and on. We could, we could spend a long time discussing all the evidence for that. But really, in a sense, even with these, I think you could use those, progress in those, as a measure of maturity. But from a practical perspective in disciple-making, I would suggest these are also critical in evaluating faithfulness. And I think faithfulness is more important to focus on because we can be faithful from the day we enter the kingdom. Maturity takes time. You know, it is to a degree time dependent. Now, some people can grow much faster and so on, but the faithfulness from the moment we enter the kingdom, we can be faithful. All that means is the little bit that we know is matched by obedience, is matched by passing that on to others. And if we're faithful in doing that, God will invest more into us. He will reveal more of himself to us. He will, refer, he will reveal to us more truth from the word. He will reveal to us, you know, all of these things that we'll talk about. He will continue to invest in us if we're faithful with what he's given us so far. That's the whole idea behind the parable of the talents. Another way that I like to think of this, and here's where you get treated to my magnificent artwork, is I like to compare it to a three-legged stool, right? If you have a three-legged stool, you need these three legs to be of approximately equal length, or it's absolutely useless. If, you know, one of them is non-existent or one of them is, you know, significantly shorter than the others, it's useless. And the same is true of our discipleship. If we're not balancing these aspects, we're not what God is desiring for us to be in terms of our, our followership of him. Another way to think of it is uh, spiritual breathing, right? So breathing in would be related to the knowledge component. Breathing out would be comparable to the living out of that knowledge and the passing on of that knowledge to others. Same thing as with the three-legged stool. It's really tough to maintain good health if you only do one of those two things. Because if you breathe in and you're not breathing out, there's a limit to how much you can breathe in. If you hold your breath, you can do that for a while. Mercifully, God designed us so that if we are so disciplined that we can hold our breath till we pass out, he makes us start to breathe, right? Our autonomic nervous system kicks in and we're forced to breathe. But if you, if you would succeed in only breathing in, you'd be dead in about six minutes in most cases. 
assuming you're not hypothermic or whatever, right? It doesn't work. It's not a path to health to only breathe in. It's absolutely impossible to only breathe out and never breathe in, right? Both of those have to be in place for us to be healthy. So any, any thoughts on this before we sort of go on? Or questions or comments? Uh, I think for me, um, this whole concept of multiplication is one that's been really special for me. And in seeing it, the, the emphasis on the importance of the quality of, you know, it's what do we want to multiply? What, we, we need to be what we want to multiply for Christ. Good. That's right. Bring forth up your own kind. Yes. So that concept is there. And when, what if we bring forth is what we are. Yep. She, she noted back in Genesis when he gave the command, he said, reproduce after your own kind. So we're getting more of whatever it is we're multiplying. So thank you for that. Yeah. The question was, how is the, how are the second and third legs different? The obedience and the passing on. So for example, you know, let's just say we're talking even about the Ten Commandments, or we're talking about specific commands in the Sermon on the Mount or whatever. Do not steal. I can obey that by not stealing. But to pass that on, I need to equip others to know they are not to steal. So I am passing on that knowledge that I have, not only living it out, but also passing it on to the next spiritual generation. It's a great question. Something that I've heard commonly when trying to advocate for discipling others to members even in my own congregation is, um, well, we just live our lives as Christian examples, like the obedience, and people will want to know. But I find that <coughs> no, they sometimes don't want to know, and we think that just living the example will cause people to flock to us and ask us questions. Uh, how do you communicate the need for the third leg to someone in that context? Yeah, so the question was, how do you communicate the need for the third leg of passing on if people um, have the attitude that if I just live out my faith, that people will come ask me, you know, why am I different, basically? Yeah, so the first thing I would do is ask them, how many people have asked you that? Okay, so, you know, even given their own attitude, that means either they're not living it very well or that their worldview is faulty in that regard. So um, I think it's kind of a self, self-defeating position, you know, in a lot of respects. Plus, there's plenty of evidence in Scripture of our responsibility for sharing what we know with others and investing in the spiritual welfare of others. And um, that clearly goes beyond a good example. So, all right, for the, those were all great comments, but for the sake of time, because we are on a clock and I'm giving you a sort of a one week course in an hour, um, I want to emphasize one other thing 
related to this, the three-legged stool or, you know, this, this three parts of being faithful, keeping those in balance. And that is the absolute critical nature of every disciple learning to recognize God's voice. We don't have time to go into, you know, all of the theological evidence that God communicates to us constantly, continuously, and earnestly. It's true, though. <laughs> and so, um, if, if you doubt that, um, maybe um, a good thing to start with would be maybe I, I read a book that just kind of talks about some of these these basics called the only the only one book.com you can go there and get a free copy of the ebook it gives you a code for a free copy but at any rate Jesus said really clearly to his disciples you know my sheep hear my voice you know they follow me to the Pharisees he said the reason you do not hear God is because you are not of God. He made it very clear if people have a relationship with God, they will hear his voice. And I think in many cases we have failed to even alert new believers to the fact that they should be listening for God's voice and then working with them on how they can learn to recognize it. Because clearly, not every thought that comes into our head is from God. And we need to start discerning between those. And again, this is a big topic. We don't have time to cover it all. Obviously, or I say that, I think everyone here is aware that sort of the first test is, is you know, the voice that I hear. Are these thoughts that I'm having consistent with Scripture? If, they, if they're contradicted by Scripture, you know, clearly it's not of God. Um, a similar test that maybe isn't talked about quite as much is just the spirit behind it. Is it consistent with the fruit of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit, you know, out of Galatians 5? And so on. And so I mentioned several kind of tests like that in, in one of the chapters in that, that book. But we need to equip people to recognize God's voice, God's direction. And this isn't just to protect orthodoxy. This is so that we can, as Ephesians 2.10 says, walk in those good works that God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. He has specific things that he intends for each of us to do based on the people he puts in our lives, the places he puts us, the gifts he's given us, and so on. And we cannot be confident of walking that path, walking in those good works that he prepared for us to walk in if we're not in tune with his voice. Just scriptural principles won't guide us into those specifics. We need to hear from him. And all of our life needs to be lived in this state of attentiveness to God. A lot of us are, are familiar with the, I don't even remember what year it was. It was probably, what, 
1800s, 1700s, I guess. Brother Lawrence, right? Practicing the presence of God. This living in the constant awareness of being in his presence. Seeking to see as he sees, to feel as he feels. That is critical. I would include that as as part of prayer, which we'll dig into a little bit more shortly. But um, in a sense, I think that's an assumption that I'm making when I talk about this, you know, the obedience application passing on is there's this presupposition that not only are we saturated in scripture, but we're living in a state of this kind of ongoing prayer. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. But with those prerequisites out of the way, um, one of the big emphases I think we need to make in disciple making is what you might refer to as self-feeding. So the idea here is that every disciple is not merely a consumer spiritually, but they're also contributors, right? We're not just people who receive. There There are no in a sense, there are no spectator disciples. Every disciple is on the field playing, right? There's no spectators. And so these self-feeding attributes or abilities are related to that where we, we need to not just be dependent on others for our growth. We need to have the ability to feed ourselves spiritually in several respects. What's that? Yeah. And this has both functions and the second and third and fourth also uh, have that um, self-cleaning as well as self-feeding attributes. So like here, John 15, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you, right? They've already been pruned by the word that he spoke. So, yeah, the first is the word. And to summarize this, I would say every disciple needs to be equipped to be able to interpret and apply Scripture. In other words, to do basic hermeneutics. And this can happen even for people who are non-literate, right? We can teach 
hermeneutical skills to people who cannot read. And today is so much easier working with non-literates because all over the world, there are literally thousands now of languages that have at least scripture portions available as audio scriptures. So many countries, even non-smartphones, just function phones, can play MP3s. So even for completely non-literate people, it's, it's possible for them to be saturated with scripture. And then we teach them how to do basic interpretation and application from that. That's critical. And so, you know, again, pointing back to that book, I talk about a couple of basic tools that are applicable to everyone to help them do that. And every disciple, we encourage them to be reading a, or listening to a minimum of 25 chapters of scripture a week and processing chunks of that every day as part of that process. And then there are group settings where you are discussing scripture, digging into it, teaching one another and there are times when you're meeting with one or two others to discuss your insights from the week. So there's lots of emphasis on being saturated with Scripture, learning to process Scripture for yourself and with one another. Critical. And so, and obviously on all these, we could dig in a lot more, but I want to quick get an overview first, and then we'll come back and see where most of the questions are. The second is prayer. How, I don't, I don't even know where to start on the central place that prayer has because prayer is not only us talking to God, it's also, as I mentioned, us listening to God. And so if we're living in this constant awareness of his presence, we can be having this constant conversation with him. My favorite tool for helping people grow in this is prayer walking, because then for a limited period of time in a you know, specific space, we're doing this intentionally where we're trying to see things from his perspective, hear from him about his desires for this place where we're walking, that we're praying for, and so on. And those same skills then can be expanded out with practice to, in a sense, prayer living, where you're living with an awareness of his presence. Um, here in North America, one of the tools I've found helpful for the prayer portion is um, the Dick Eastman's old prayer wheel. For those of you who are familiar with, you know, every home for Christ and all of that. So you pray for an hour and it guides you into 12 different aspects, actually 11 because one of them's repeated, but 12 different aspects of prayer for five minutes each for an hour. And that is just a tool that can help people who have maybe trouble focusing, you know, to increase their capacity for prayer. And soon, praying for an hour or two hours or whatever, they say it's not enough, you know. But a tool like that helps break it up and make it more palatable. So there's things like that. There's 
there's other prayer tools that, that we use to help equip every disciple to sort of have a complete understanding for, of prayer and to, um, yeah, live in an attitude of prayer. And um, even in Jesus' ministry, we see him use prayer in multiple ways. One that we, we don't often think of, um, but is very relevant, is using prayer as a teaching tool, right? When Jesus is at Lazarus' tomb, he prays, Father, I thank you that you hear me. I know that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of those who are here listening, you know, that they may know that you sent me. So praying to instruct the people as to the character and nature of God and of Jesus' relationship with him and what that was like, and very overt teaching through prayer. But there's many uses of prayer, but equipping every disciple in that cluster of abilities and practices. The third one would be body life. Um, Discipleship is not an individual sport. It's a team sport. When we enter the kingdom, we don't just gain the Lord as our father and Jesus as our brother. We are adopted into an entire family of brothers and sisters. And that is a key aspect to how God designed his body, his family. There are so many aspects to this. Some very simple practices. One is if these new disciples are going to be reading 25 to 30 chapters of Scripture a week at a minimum, and say we alert them to the one another construction, right? So all the passages that say we're to do this with one another or for one another or to one another, then every time they see that one another phrase, it jumps out, of, out, of, out at them. And they're sensitized, in a sense, to be aware of all of the mutuality that God intended within the Bible. One of the first passages that I want to take a new believer through, usually within the first week or so, is one of the spiritual gifts passages just so they understand that God designed us to need one another, that what I'm gifted in, they may not be gifted in, and vice versa. And that to get, it takes us together working for the kingdom in order to achieve God's purposes, to illustrate the fullness of His character and His glory, and so on. So there are just some simple practices like this, plus the fact that many of the skills that we teach will be group, you know, in their spiritual family with one or two others. Sure, there, there are things that we teach them that are individual skills, but so many of them are group. So that's critical. The fourth one is... I guess I should say response to persecution and suffering. Now, a lot of people say, 
how could you possibly put that on the same level with scripture and prayer and body life? That's ridiculous. I challenge you to do something. Try to find, especially focusing on the New Testament, try to find in the New Testament how many passages you can find that talk about how God grows us through the word, how many you can find about how he grows us through prayer, how many you can find about how he grows us through body life, and how many you can find about how he grows us through persecution and suffering. You may find there's more here. Count how many times it talks about how God grows us through each of these, through each of these things. And there's lots in there about how he intends to grow us through persecution and suffering or examples of him doing that. Um, if you're interested or you don't believe me, the fourth breakout, I'm focusing entirely on this. And we're not going to have, I could go 10 times as long easily, well, 20 times as long easily because I, I run little workshops where we just touch on it and it takes two entire days. So um, there's lots in there. But the point is there are many, many benefits to our growth, development as disciples that can come through persecution and suffering. But most of those passages that talk about that, those promises that he makes for our growth are contingent in most of those passages, contingent upon our appropriate response to the persecution and suffering. It's absolutely possible to go through that suffering and not gain those benefits if we respond inappropriately. I don't know about you, but if I'm, you know, suffering is unavoidable. We're all going to face it. If I'm going to face it, I would love to have benefits. And I don't want to have to relearn lessons that I fail to learn by having to go through more and more and more suffering. It's like, if I could avoid some of that just by learning lessons faster, I'm all for it, you know? So why don't we equip every disciple to be aware of some of these first potential benefits from the suffering and how we can respond appropriately to those so that we can gain those benefits. So again, I'll talk a lot more about that on the fourth breakout session if you are interested in that. So... We'll take another mini break and see if there are any questions or clarifications regarding the idea of equipping every disciple to be self-feeding in these categories. If you contextualize this to teens, would you still recommend 25 chapters at a minimum target for middle school and high school students? Yep. If they're not comfortable reading that much, which many in that generation are not because they're secondary oral learners, so they prefer to get input, say, through video or whatever, um, then I would absolutely encourage them to do the listening. Or now there are even video options, especially for portions like the Gospels and so on, 
that are, are easy for them to access. So, but yes, the same quantity I would, and I do, yeah. One more question. So these skills right here, these are in the obedience column, right? Learn, obey, share. Yeah, all, all of these are just sort of categories in which we want to equip them and ultimately not that they're practicing those skills. So that's like obeying them and they're teaching them to others, which is passing them on, right? And this would be like your Mount Rushmore of technical skills? So the question was, is this a sort of a Mount Rushmore of technical skills? And in terms of the basics for being a disciple and making disciples, I said, yes, that would sort of be the categories that I would heavily emphasize. Back to the 25 chapters. Uh, does it matter where the chapters come from? Do they need to be sequential in some places? Yeah, that's a great question. The question was the 25 chapters. Where do they need to come from? Do they need to be sequential? Um, Within reason, we tell them any, any section you want, but we suggest within a book. So like, for example, you might do the book of Ephesians five times in a week, you know, or the book of Colossians seven times in a week. Um, so it could be repeating the same scripture. Yeah, but uh, a lot of movements do have recommended reading, reading patterns. But it's not, you know, not mandatory. So, yeah. Can you describe one more time what you mean by self-feeding? Because you see these things like body life. How are you a self-feeder in body life? Right. So the question was how, describe again what I mean by self-feeding. Because especially, I would say, in the body life category, others are definitely required. <clears throat> the point is, though, that we want people to take personal responsibility for see seeing that that happens. So, for example, I want to make sure that they're in an accountability group where body life will be expressed. I want them to be in a spiritual family, a simple church where that body life is expressed. So they, they have personal responsibility to participate in that and, you know, be a part of it. So that would be the sense in which I intended it. Right, that no one makes them, or has to twist their arm, they just, they know this is essential. Yep. All right. Only are you doing it, we're teaching others to do it. That is correct. Not only are you doing it, but you're teaching others to do it. Hey, I want to interrupt this episode real quick because I want to give a shout out to four of our key partners who will be leading track sessions at the National Disciple Making Forum coming up in Nashville, October 5th and 6th. Check out Awana for information on family discipleship at awana.org. Take a look at Mercy Multiplied for discipling men and women who are hurting and struggling. Their website is mercymultiplied.com. Do you find yourself wanting to help in transitioning your church to a disciple-making focus? Then go to navigatorschurchministries.com for more resources. 
And lastly, should you need help with sustainable discipleship models, head on over to sustainablediscipleship.com. I encourage you to join one of the track sessions that these organizations will lead at our forum. We want to thank Awana, Mercy Multiplied, Navigators Church Ministries, and Sustainable Discipleship for their support. All right, let's get back to the episode. All right, so what else do we want to see every disciple equipped in? Um, I talk about giving every disciple a pair of eyeglasses, right, that has two lenses. One lens relates to those with whom they have ongoing relationships. So this will be family, friends, maybe workmates, classmates, you know, people they hang out with, those type of people. The other lens has to do with everybody else, but with an emphasis on what we call the least, the last, and the lost, right? So that first category is one in which people have natural concern. Even non-believers have a love for the people that they have close relationships with. They want what's best for those people. They, you know, they want good things for them. But that's not necessarily so natural for everybody else and doesn't necessarily highlight the least, the last, and the lost, just with people's natural, you know, wiring. That first lens is how the gospel travels fastest. The second lens is how the gospel travels farthest. Both are absolutely demonstrated to be God's intention for us, right? To, to steward those relationships that are ongoing and to, in a sense, minister, right? Take the kingdom to those outside with an emphasis on the least, the last, and the lost. So typically we'll start with the first lens. The moment I lead somebody to the Lord, the first thing I talk to them about is, it is a blessing to be in God's family. <clears throat> it is a great blessing to help others enter God's family. It is a greater blessing to start a new spiritual family. And it is the greatest blessing to help others start new spiritual families. I want to help you do all of that. So let's start by making a list of a hundred people you know. So I literally, if they if they're literate, you know, if they can write, because I have another way I do it. If they don't, but it accomplishes the exact same thing. List friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, classmates, all that, till we get a hundred people. And I say, okay, pick five you want to tell right away about the decision you've just made. All right. And then I'll equip them how to, in a sense, give their testimony, which for a new believer is simply why I chose to follow Jesus, basically, right? And then I'll equip them in some way to share the basics of the gospel, often the way that I just used to explain it to them. 
and then we'll practice. So five times, the, if the first person on their list is their mother, I say, okay, pretend I'm your mother. Let's go. So, you know, tell me why you chose to follow Jesus and explain what it means to follow him. And we'll practice that five times. And then we'll make an appointment and I'll say, great, I want to see you. And I'm, I try to make sure it's within 48 hours. I want to see you, you know, two days from now at this coffee shop or whatever and tell me how it went and, you know, we'll debrief it. And so they come back. Hopefully, if they don't, I know where to get them because I get their contact information. So, you know, and then did you did they share? If they did and people believed, did they pass on that whole process to them? If not, let's go back. Let's troubleshoot it. If they did, I'm ecstatic because probably we just planted a new church. Chances are that person plus the people they just led to faith will be the core of a new church, new spiritual family, new simple church. And then take the next step in their discipleship process. I mean, literally the moment they come to faith, I'm starting on this first lens, right? I don't want to wait too long, but I do want, before introducing the second lens, but I do want to try to help them tap out as much of that list of 100 as I can. And then once I feel like, okay, we've, we've made good progress on that, I'm ready to introduce that other world. And there are different priorities. There are different um, patterns that are typical in these two. So in your ongoing relationships, it's much more a matter of persistence, patience, process, helping draw those people to Christ. In the other world, more typically, it's going to be a matter of filtering, of finding those who are ready, who are open, maybe finding those who are particularly hurting right now, and that creates an openness, and so on. And so that's a different mindset, and there's some different skills, different tools that we would use in that context. But I want every disciple to have these, both of these. I, I should give you some more great art. There you go. Um, these two lenses, I want every disciple to have that. The last aspect that I want to focus on is helping them, in a sense, optimize the reproductivity, right? That passing on part is really the most difficult aspect of this you know, this whole thing, because my guess is I haven't mentioned a single tool or concept that's new to people in here. Maybe you haven't thought of, you know, defining them in this way or using them as a cluster or whatever, but there's not much new. But in the church, well, other than possibly the persecution and suffering, right? Because a lot of churches here for some reason, just leave that out. It's because we don't like to talk about it or we don't think it applies to us or whatever. So maybe that was new to leave, people. I'm sorry, leave what out? The persecution and suffering. Oh. Maybe maybe that was kind of a new thought to, to you all. But this last one, it it's a shame that we don't talk about it more 
in the kingdom. And that is what, what I would call the training cycle. So there's lots of ways to say it. How I like to say it is model, assist, watch, and leave. And don't anybody ask me to change leave to launch. I don't have time to go into it, but leave is better. All right, because we want to launch them as we transfer from assist to watch. That's my short answer, but leave. Um, and if I'll give a very quick overview here, but if you're interested in learning more about that on the next breakout session, I'm talking the whole hour just about the training cycle to go into a lot more detail. But helping people understand. So for example, model and assist determines the pace. Watch determines the quality, right? A lot of people don't understand that. That has lots of implications for how we do those things, when we do the, those things, what the interaction looks like between us in each of those phases, you know. So we want everybody to essentially be trained as a coach in understanding fine points of how you get generational growth in the disciple making. It's not just randomly passing this on to an individual and then your job's done. It just doesn't work like that. There's a long involved process. It usually takes for the whole thing years to go through that just to make a single disciple. But the thing is, they've started making disciples early in that process, but you're there coaching them as they're coaching the next generation. And so you may see five or six generations before you finish coaching that generation one, in a sense, before you hit the leave point. It's not at all unusual or more generations. So talking through or equipping people to understand that, I'm sorry, I, I just don't see our churches doing that at all. We just don't do it. And if we want generational growth, which is what's required for multiplication, everybody needs to understand this and everybody needs to be practicing this stuff. And so that's a big deal. And that leads me back to just a couple of random principles that I wanted to mention. One is what I call duckling discipleship. And the main reason I wanted to talk about this is because this really highlights my artistic abilities. <laughs> that is a mother duck. And these are ducklings. Okay, take my word for it. All right, if you've ever watched a family of ducks with the mother, the mother duck will be out front either waddling or paddling along, right? And usually single file behind her, you have these ducklings. If you think about it, really 
The first duckling is following the mother duck. The second duckling is following the first. The third follows the second. The fourth follows the third, and so on. So guess what? To lead a duckling, you don't have to be a mature duck. You just have to be one step ahead. The kingdom is that way. And there's only one mother duck, Jesus Christ. No pastor, no missionary, no seminary professor is a mother duck. Every one of us is a duckling. None of us has yet achieved the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. We're all in process and hopefully we, you know, remain in that process our whole lives and continue to grow. But none of us is a mother duck. This is why Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ Jesus. Every one of us needs to be able to say the same thing. Follow me as I follow Christ Jesus. This has amazing implications for disciple making. If we're faithful in delivering all of those things we talked about to every disciple through that training cycle process, we can see high quality disciples made and the impact numerically is amazing. So let's say we start with one disciple and over a period of 10 years, let's say, the first year you make a disciple, you disciple them. The second year, both of you make a disciple. The next year, both, you know, all four of you make a disciple and so on. So it's a, just a simple doubling algorithm, right? So in 10 years, you end up with 64 disciples. What if that's with 12 months? What if it was nine months? Then one disciple would end up being over a thousand disciples. What if it was six months? 8K plus, 8,196. What if it was uh, four months? Or in fact, I messed up, nine, six, four, no, that's right. Four months, you get over a million. Three months, you get over a billion. If I made a disciple every three months and every one of my disciples made one, in 10 years, we'd have a billion disciples. That type of growth is possible if we're doing duckling discipleship. I don't have to finish the process with the next disciple in line before they're reproducing. That's what I was talking about doing the model assist and then they start to reproduce. And you go back and they're making improvements in their downline as they learn more and so on. So it is entirely conceivable. And with not disciples being reproduced, but churches being reproduced, I've seen this at this level in pretty much every major worldview context. 
So starting with no churches, going in, planning a first church, and then within 10 years, seeing over a thousand churches, I've seen it in Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, animist, atheist, materialist, all kinds of different contexts. I've seen that within 10 years, not with disciples, but with simple churches. In a couple of places, I've seen that over 10 years, where we had a million churches in two different contexts, one in China, one in India. Within 10 years, that many simple churches. Duckling discipleship is possible if we're using the training cycle wisely and you're in a place that has a reasonable level of responsiveness to the gospel. If, if people aren't responding to the gospel, it doesn't matter what you do, you're not going to multiply disciples. But if you can solve the culture, the, the, the puzzle of the culture and their understanding and responsiveness to the gospel, then amazing things are possible in terms of multiplication. Well, just one that'll underline something we've already talked about is what I like to call the spiritual economy. So our earthly economy is based on me having something that you don't have, and that's how I make a profit. So either I have work capacity or skills or knowledge or physical items that you don't have and you want, so you pay me and we, you know, I, I then give you the benefit of that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how the world works, right? But the kingdom economy is very different from that. The kingdom economy is based on me gaining more by, in a sense, my giving away what I already have. So this goes back to that, that principle of how we're supposed to pass on everything that we receive, right? That's critical to the kingdom economy. If I'm not doing that, if I'm hoarding, in a sense, I get all these insights, I'm blessed by them, I'm, you know, living a righteous life, I'm doing like this brother asked about, you know, that if, if I live a great life, people will ask me about it or whatever, I'm living that kind of a life, but I'm keeping it to myself that person is not going to be blessed by God in that same way. God does not invest more in that person. That person is not stewarding what they've received. And so, you know, back to those uh, three aspects, let's draw them short because it's a new, new disciple. If this person is faithful, these are staying you know, about even, God is going to invest more in that person. They are going to grow. They're going to get new insights. He is going to speak more clearly to those people. And so that's how we grow. And so, I mean, if this is knowledge, this is obedience or application, this is sharing or passing on, you know, we have words for when these are out of whack. If this, if the obedience 
isn't up to snuff. We call that hypocrisy, right? They're doing the right thing. They may even be saying the right thing. I mean, the, I mean, they know the right thing. They may be saying the right thing, but they're not doing it. It's hypocrisy. What we see more of is people who know the right thing. Maybe they're obeying it, but they're not sharing it. How can that be Christianity? That is total selfishness. How, how much do you have to hate people to keep them? You are preventing them from experiencing the amazing privilege of knowing and relating to God. There's no way that can be called discipleship. There's no way that can be called true Christianity. And it's because of that kingdom economy that God just is looking for people that he can trust to steward what he gives us, you know? So we are now out of time officially. So um, let me mention things real quick here. My name, my email address, if you need to contact me, this is where you can get the free ebook. 2414 is a coalition of practitioners of this type of stuff globally. Um, about 80 million of us in 2414. If you want to connect with others doing this. Now, obviously, the U.S. was late getting started on this, but there are practitioners here in the U.S. They had a national meeting a couple of weeks ago. Zoom.training is a place you can get introductory online training and it's all free zoomay.vision just talks about the what zoomay training you know users are trying to accomplish globally and so it has some tools there that might be of help so those would be some resources where you could get more information you know over time going forward let me pray for you and we will call it a day Lord, um, we are so grateful that you have not only made us your children, but Lord, you have given us the amazing privilege of participating with you in your work. And Lord, we are keenly aware that we are absolutely incapable in ourselves of doing anything to advance your kingdom. But Lord, we Thank you that you are adequate for all these things. And Lord, you earnestly desire for us to learn from you, to obey as a demonstration of our love for you, and then to pass that on as a demonstration of our love for others. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us grow in our ability to do that day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome stuff from Zume Training. Up next, we've got another episode from Curtis with Zume. So click subscribe to this channel to be informed for when it releases. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening, and I sincerely hope you have a great day. See ya.